Well, good morning again, everyone. Glad to be here with you this morning. And I do want to thank Steve, even though he's not here, for filling in for me last week so I can get back to Ohio and be with family uh, during that time as we celebrated the life of Elaine's stepmom. And you know, it's, it's difficult when you think about time and the decisions that you make when in, term, in terms of time, um, in terms of family, especially as I have other family members that are doing so well as well. So it's one of those things where I'm thankful and just grateful for the opportunity to get back um, for that time and space. And I think the Lord knew that I needed that time as we were coming off of the vote and things like that is in terms of processing different things. You know, in my heart as I have been looking at the last few weeks and up what's upcoming, um, it was interesting to see how the Lord just kind of laid some things out. Um, and I want to share a little bit of that with you this morning. Uh, I've been studying about where the Lord would lead us in the upcoming messages and how to guide us in, these, in this next season that we're going to be entering into. And as I was processing through that, it was interesting to see the season that the Lord has been bringing me through. And it's actually one of grieving. Now, grieving for a lot of different reasons, um, more than just the loss of someone. You know, while I was in Ohio, I was able to sit with a, a widow who had lost her husband of 66 years uh, the week before. She was completely surprised when I showed up. And we sat for two hours and we talked. I gave her encouragement and comfort. And I noticed she still had the benefit picture of our family on the fridge. And she just shared how often she would pray for us. And it was sweet. I sat with my father-in-law as he laid to rest a second wife. I watched as her son struggled to grieve, struggled to be open with his grief. And I encouraged him and just shared with him, allowing him to process. Sticking with the theme of loss, I also grieved the loss of Toby Keith this week. Not because I knew him personally, I mean, I love his music, but because I can empathize the fact that he went through stomach cancer, understanding the pains of, of that battle and what it brings. And then grieving this way, or this week in a different way, where it's more a part of the process of growth, where the Lord is leading you through some things. You know, last week, Andrea went back to Colorado for this next season of life trying to navigate you know, what small trips here and there would look like, phone calls, video calls, and all of those types of things. Having the vote a couple of weeks ago, you know, through this whole season, there's just been shades of grief throughout. And then one other area that was very interesting to me. While I was in Ohio, I got to meet with a lot of different people at the calling hours. And it was interesting because some people came up and shared their testimonies with me. Uh, one lady in particular shared how over the last couple of years, Jesus has really just gotten a hold of her, you know, and, and she's gone to church her whole life, but it's just, it's different now. And she's just shared the grief that she had in the lost time. I talked with another man um, who I could just see a passion and a fire in his eyes going through similar things. I'm pretty sure he is a part of the Methodist church 
and his church held a vote to split because of everything that they're going through in that denomination. And the time of the vote, well, here comes 20 or 30 people that are still on the membership role but haven't been to church in 20 years. So because of that, he helped to lead a group of people out and start a new church. And this is, both of these people are in their 60s, and they have this new, renewed life and passion for the Lord that I was able to see. It was inspiring. And you know, as I listened to other stories, I drove around the different towns. I listened to the stories of the churches that are dying, that are dwindling. Churches that were thriving, and then churches that you have that are just chasing after culture, trying to be relevant. And it grieved my heart. Understanding the spectrum of how some of the churches are just isolated and shutting themselves off from the community to where there's no gospel presence in that community to, again, those that are just having gone full in with the culture, losing sight of the gospel and what truly matters. As I'm grieving the state of the church in America, I'm also reading a book from Tim Keller, a short book about how to reach the West. And it made me think in a couple of areas as we continue to go down this road of who we are as a church, what our mission is, and how we can impact our communities and workplaces for the glory of God, understanding the mission that he has given us and what that looks like. But again, as I'm taking all of this in, I'm also looking at the challenges that we face. Now, I will kind of pre-apologize because I might, it might seem like I'm all over the place in this message. I read a lot this week and there's still a lot of it that's kind of knotted up in my brain to where it's not all completely processed. But as I work through that, I wanted to share some of the convictions that I've had. As I've read through uh, things in Acts and Romans and Corinthians and finished one book and started another this week. You know, and as I was reading through the Bible, I, I wondered at how the apostles shared the gospel message. And then I did what, you know, you shouldn't do sometimes. I compared. You know, not that comparison's a bad thing, but the way I was comparing wasn't very good. Because you might focus on more of the negative aspects of that comparison, or you might, you might see things that, well, how come it can't be like this? It's just not fair, Lord. You know, think about, think about Peter's sermon in Acts 2. If you're familiar with that story, it's right after the Pentecost, and he's going out, and he is bold, and he's connecting dots for people, and, and he, he says, you know, there's no other name than Jesus in which you can be saved, and 3,000 come to the Lord that day. Then a little bit later in Acts 17, Paul is speaking to those in Athens, and he sees the, the uh, unknown God, right? And he's making some connections, and he tells them how that's the one true God. And, and there's multiple people that come to the Lord that day. Now, obviously, in both instances, some are still stubborn, some mock them, uh, some walk away, some want to hear more. But there were many who believed. And what I was comparing was how easy it was for them to make connections. Now I know I'm only looking at a snapshot in their ministry. I'm not really taking into the account the challenges or the obstacles that they faced, the persecution that they had at the hands of the Romans. I understand all of that. But as I was in that state of grief, 
I looked at the state of the church as a whole in America. I looked at our culture as our whole, as a whole. And even more so the state of people. Because when you look at what's going on, we see an increasing society and culture that is clueless about God. You know, Peter simply shared points in the Old Testament. Yeah, you know, this verse, this verse, this verse, it's Jesus. Done. Let's go. Paul, he's, he's sharing those same connections to where the hearers of what they have, you're assuming different things in that hearer, that they know what you're going to be talking about. And today it seems like each generation is becoming less and less religious, let alone less Christian. And for many in the church, perhaps we try to cling to the cultural sway or power in different ways. Or maybe we want to just elect Christian leaders and we have this spiritual pride that they'll take care of everything if we just elect the right king. Wait, no, it's, that's Israel. If we just elect the right president, then everything's going to be good and we can just legislate our way back into faith. Or maybe we just try to meld into the culture to make ourselves look more attractive and more relevant. Or maybe the opposite. Become so isolated that we don't want to be influenced by culture that we then have zero impact on the communities around us. See, I think in a lot of ways, churches are missing the point of what the gospel message means. But as Ecclesiastes tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Every generation has faced obstacles that they have needed to rely on the Lord to see them through. We have obstacles in the mission that is set before us that we face as individual Christians, that we face as a church body. Today I want to kind of do more of a topical message to set up some of those obstacles that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. It's not going to be an exhaustive list by any means. But what I hope is that it would start a conversation for us to be real about what's going on in our culture and our world. What our young people face and how to approach that from a standpoint of what's in the word. As I've been going on this whole one thing at a time kick with the Lord, it's been interesting to see and to just rest in the fact that through a lot of this, I probably won't have all of the answers. But instead, what it gives us is an opportunity to persevere and to lean and trust in him faithfully that he will see us through. So I hope you're able to, to tackle some of these questions in the same way with me. But to kind of start us off with this message in this little series today, I want to start in Judges chapter 2. I know that we kind of went over part of this in the Sunday school recently, so hopefully it'll be a little familiar for those of us that are coming to Sunday school. But today I want to read in Judges 2, verses 11 through 15. If you're with me, I uh, invite you to stand, if you're willing and able, as we read God's word this morning. 
Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the right hand, or sorry, into the hand of the surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths this morning, that you would convict us in those areas where we need to face those convictions, and that we can repent in those areas that we need repentance. Allow us to rest in your truth this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Maybe seated. Now this is a, a fun passage about the people of God. It's always good to get into this type of passage. A few obstacles right off the bat as we're looking at this. You know, we can read this as we should as, and understand that this is a charge against the nation as a whole of Israel. It's more of a generalized statement probably does not mean that every single man, woman, and child is bowing down to Baal. You know, we see references like that with Elijah when God says, you know, there's still 7,000 that have not bowed down. But even so, they're all deemed guilty because of this. And I, I want us to look at it this way because of that first obstacle that I want to mention, and that is selfish pride. Now, normally, we can read a passage like this as a whole, we can listen to the intro that I just gave about the state of the church in America and just automatically apply it to America because we see the distress that our nation is in. We see the evil that some of the, the corrupt leaders or the corrupt issues that are going on in our nation. And we can see all of the godlessness and think, oh, great, now, now because of what you did, we're all guilty. Thanks a lot. But that's a focused look outward. As we look at verse 11, as it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, we want to look inward because we're all guilty, right? We're all guilty of idolatry. We're all guilty of evil. We're all guilty of saying, oh, it's not me. I didn't do that. That's that other person. Now, that, that attitude might be a little bit more prevalent in our lives before we came to Christ, but idolatry is still there, and it can be very subtle. For instance, phones. Kind of interesting as I look around, most of the phones have been put away. I laughed at, you know, there's probably half a dozen to a dozen people reading their Bible on their phones. But there's been many a Sundays where I could look out and you know, that Bible app, it sure is funny, and you're reading pretty fast. How subtle something so small can come into our lives, but it can become a great idol. And it would be kind of selfish pride to say, no, no, I'm good. It doesn't have a hold over me. 
In a book called Reclaiming Conversation, Sherry Turkle says that the increased time on social media correlates with a measurable loss of empathy, the ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, where the outside reality is being replaced with the digital reality, and feelings are more important than truth. Beliefs that people now hold revolve around identity, freedom, happiness, and what's relative. You see, technology is changing the way that we are forming our beliefs and our foundations. Our beliefs become very thin because we live in a shallow world with taglines or headlines that we just look at. Our attention span is about 0.5 seconds. We're bored if we're not scrolling or being entertained. Are your kids acting up in public? Here you go. Watch this screen. Guilty. It's easy. It's convenient. Shuts them up. But it's also very addicting. It's becoming a not-so-subtle idol in many people's lives, and it's drowning out anything else that could be used to form values and beliefs. In his book about reaching the West, Tim Keller posed a couple of questions in the beginning of the book. He starts off with this understanding. He says, past evangelistic strategies assumed that nearly everyone held this shared set of beliefs around a sacred order, that there was a God, an afterlife, a standard of moral truth, and a sense of sin. We might call these the religious dots that evangelists could assume in their hearers. Evangelism was simply connecting the dots that the listeners already possessed in their, in order to hear the, in order to prove the truth of the gospel. Today's culture believes the thing that we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. How then do you evangelize people who lack any sense of sin or transcendence? Or who lack traditional basic religious infrastructure such, such as a belief in a supreme being or the afterlife. See, I think religion and God is being replaced with technology. On average, a person spends two and a half hours a day on some form of social media. For all of digital media, it jumps up to eight hours a day. So how can two hours on a Sunday compete with the bombardment that we get from the digital age? Our young people are being formed and shaped by digital media rather than the word of God. So we have to face the reality of what it is that's going on around us. And this isn't just for the youth. We all can struggle with it. But this is just one example of how a subtle or not so subtle thing can become an idol in our lives. An example of spiritual pride rather than humility. Second obstacle that we can face is this idea to embrace the cultural changes without proper thought or care to how it impacts us or the gospel. So we have to understand that the culture is swaying us. Again, there's usually a spectrum or this polarization that we can see. Things, these ideas, these words that we can swing on um, 
you know, and, and we can all, we could be all in for culture and it can control us or we could be so against us, so against it that we just isolate ourselves from it altogether. Let me give you a for instance about how quickly the culture can impact us. So 12 years ago-ish, when Snapchat first came out, I was thinking, all right, I'm gonna get Snapchat. That way I can monitor the kids, I can be on there with them, I'll be their friend, I can give them some good boundaries, so forth and so on. It's a new app. Um, very quickly, I realized the dangers of this app. To where somebody can just send you anything and then it is deleted in six seconds. I very quickly went from being all into this culture and using this tool to help reach the kids to nope, delete it, get it rid of it. But right in the middle were the kids. Now I suggested to them to probably get rid of the app because it's not as safe as you might think it is. Tried to promote good boundaries in terms of internet use and, and things like that. But what did an old man like me know about technology? at 30 years old. You know, you try to limit the times that you have on the phone or the apps that you have on the phone, but you get immersed in the mindless swiping of videos and reels. Before you know it, time flies by. Even as adults or church-going Christians, we can get caught up in the culture to where it can control us. Look at verses 12 and 13. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, and they went after the other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. We have to understand that the culture will always try to pull us away from the Lord. Do your phones, do your televisions, do your media serve you? Or do you serve them? One of my favorite quotes from The Social Dilemma was, if you're not paying for the product, then the product is you. Everything is vying for your attention. And media is designed to be like a drug. So, are we able to put down our phones for a season? to shut off devices for a consistent period of time? Or do we bristle? Do we say, oh, no, 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 I, I'm completely in control of it. Or I need that for work. Or what if somebody needs to get a hold of me? I need it for my job. I need it. Again, phones in themselves are not bad. And I'm talking about all forms of media. So would we be able to take a fast from that? and then replace that with the time of the Lord. Perhaps at least a conversation that could be had about our habits and what we're doing with our life. Because here's the warning. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. You know, when we're following something other than the Lord, we have to expect distress to be in our lives. 
Because we're seeking other things for that pleasure. We're seeking other things for those answers and not the Lord. You know, in the midst of all of this processing and things like that, a couple weeks ago I had a dream that really impacted me pretty heavily. In this dream I was in an auditorium and I'm listening to a speaker and I had a computer up in front of me on my lap and all of a sudden this person came in from my right. I think it was like another pastor type figure and he simply said, how long are you going to be like this? This half in, half out type of thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you've got headphones in and you're listening to music. You're typing on something else. You're not even paying attention to what the speaker's saying. Your attention's not where it needs to be and it's divided. And then the dream moved on. But it was one of those things that stuck with me because it was a, it was a deep conviction. What is it that I'm doing that might be provoking the Lord to anger? What are the idols that are in my life that are distracting me and taking me away from him? Do I think I'm just safe because I'm on this side of the cross and that the Lord won't be angry with me? That I won't face distress in my life? Again, back to the spiritual pride. Now, as we talk about these obstacles and, and more in coming weeks, you know, I know that they're mentioned because first we have to address different issues in our own life. How we're impacting or how we're um, understanding culture, how we're looking at the spiritual pride in our own life. I want us to look inward first because in order to grow, we have to be honest with ourselves. Because more importantly, we have a lost and broken world out there that increasingly has not heard the name of Jesus or does not believe in God or anything that is religious. So how can we meet and impact them for the gospel? You know, as Christians, we are, of course, called to be in the world, but not of the world. And again, we can go to different ends of that spectrum, of that polarization, understanding how to... to be involved with culture. But when we understand the calls for us to be his ambassadors, when we understand what it means to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, where it's not a withdrawal from culture, to where we need to have an impact on our communities, to understand that we're not necessarily meant to impose our Christian beliefs on people, or have a master that is different than Christ, then we're able to start to find a balance in all of that, that he is the Lord of our lives, that he has given us a mission, and that we are not to be controlled or fearful of other things. Instead, we are to connect with people so that we can confront them with the problem of sin, sharing the gospel message of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in order to pay for those sins and hopefully this would lead to a conversion. Because like it or not, we're in our culture. It's all around us. You know, we look at the news, we see the headlines, we look at the agendas that are being pushed in our society, and it grieves our heart. It can grieve us to the point where it might seem impossible. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord. 
And you know, when we, when we look at the obstacles that we face in the day to day, we also have to understand that we're not alone. The Lord has given us each other as a church body to equip and to build each other up. And he has also given us a helper. Jesus gives the disciples that confidence at the end of his ministry in the Gospel of John as he is with them in the upper room. And he says this in chapter 16. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will, no longer, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, we, we understand that it's the Spirit's job to convict, to save people. But hopefully in the last couple of weeks, you also spent time in Romans 10, as I gave that homework assignment. And you understand the importance of how beautiful it is are those feet of those whose feet come in with the gospel message. You know, and it's for the purpose of building this kingdom. And I also think of Ezekiel, where the Lord tells Ezekiel, look, I'm giving you this message to share. It's your responsibility to go tell the people. If you don't tell them, their blood is on your hands. If you tell them and they reject, well, the blood, their blood is their own. It's on their own hands. The responsibility that we have as his ambassadors to take the gospel message is important. You know, and as we understand the purpose of advancing his kingdom, as we understand the purpose of the mission that he has given us, we're able to lift our voices together to walk in obedience where there's this strong desire and this passion to serve him. And it just gets kindled in our soul. And I've seen it time and time again. I gave the example of the one gentleman back in Ohio. It's, it's one of those things that become a bright spot in ministry to where you can see people finally getting it and just following hard after the Lord. Because a church that is on mission is very distinct within its community. A church that is just doing the status quo, oh yeah, I guess there's a church up on that hill. Don't know much about them and I don't even know who goes there. How many people in Minden know about us? How many people in your neighborhood know that you are a Christian? How many people in your workplace know that they can come to you because you're going to pray for them? Do we make our faith known or do we hide it? It's a privilege to be the hands and feet of Christ in the ways that he has prepared us to be. But you know, as I think about some of the things that we face, whether that's in the workplace or home life, schools, colleges, we have to be able to identify the obstacles that are in front of us. You know, I listed just a couple for us today. I gave examples in terms of media and when it comes to the knowledge of God. As a believer, we have to be ready to face obstacles head on. We can't just ignore it. We can't just put our head in the sand and say, oh, well. Because our young people need to be equipped to be able to face the culture that is ahead of them. Just because we're older and, well, good luck. It's going to hell in a handbasket. There's too many lost people at risk as well that need to hear the gospel message. 
We've each been gifted in a different way. We each have different passions for the Lord to serve him. You know, I can address some of the things from the pulpit, but this is usually a one-way conversation. It takes a conversation to understand what each other is going through, what each other is facing, the different obstacles, the things that they're seeing in culture. You know, you see it a lot in, in youth group and teens in terms of what they have to face in schools, what they're being pressured with, things that you wouldn't even think about as being an issue. But just making sure that you don't use the wrong pronouns, for instance, that you have to use inclusive language in all of your papers. Culture changes. And what we face and what our kids face is real. And it's hard. And we can't be silent about it. We have to have conversations about it so that we can meet with one another and quit each other, going to the word to find that truth. You know, and as I, as I read the Bible, as I said many times, I catch myself comparing well, yes, there's a lot more persecution that happened to the early church, and I might not face that same type of persecution. There are definitely brothers and sisters around the world that face persecution on a daily basis. Now, our challenges may be unique, but they're not new. And I want to leave us with something that is hopeful. You know, you see the people, even in Judges, as they're facing these consequences of their decisions, as they're deemed guilty by God here, they're losing battles. What does God do in the next part of the passage? As you look down, it says in verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, obviously, you keep reading, and it shows how the people are still hard-hearted, they're stubborn, and not everybody listens. But our hope is not in people. Our hope is in the Lord. And the Lord raised up judges to call people back to him. That's in the Old Testament. On this side of the cross, the Lord has raised up believers to be a priesthood of believers, to go out and complete the Great Commission. We can all help each other with that. We can help equip. We can help pray each other. You know, I, I'm here. I want to be a, a help as I'm able to. I want to serve as much as I can. But I'm just one person. That's why when you understand church as a priesthood of, of believers, it multiplies the impact that you can have. And there's pockets of that happening within the body, and it's good to see. You know, and, and I think of, you know, the starfish analogy where you've got a little boy that's on this beach, and the beach just has millions of starfish on it, and he's just chucking them back out. Must have been one of those beaches where you can touch the starfish, Joel. But then, you know, this old guy comes up. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting all your time? Look at how many starfish there are. You're not going to make a difference. And the boy says, I made a difference to that one. You know, we all have that, that chance to impact somebody with the gospel message, to, to make a difference in that one person's life. As Christians, our hope, our trust is in Christ. 
And what we do can reach out to those around us for that same end, where we're holding fast to his word and we're living by his word. You know, in John, at the end of his prayer, um, Jesus in chapter 17 says this. Of his, speaking of his disciples, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You know, today, I just want us to be able to acknowledge that there are obstacles that are ahead of us as a church, as a culture, and as individuals. But we understand that nothing, is, nothing new is under the sun, that God has and he will provide for us truth and the strength to see us through those, those difficulties. You know, I want to face some of these obstacles in our culture head on over the next few weeks. So I want to start a dialogue. Share with me what you're seeing in culture, in your life, in your communities, so that we can go to the word together to find our hope and truth as we move forward, as we search the scriptures deeply. You know, one thing with technology is that it's creating a very shallow society. But people are craving depth. People want to go deeper. But they can't because they're held by technology. The Bible tells us in Ephesians to explore and to search the width, the depth, the height of the love and the riches of Christ. We have all of the depth that we need right here in our hands in terms of the Bible. And we have that opportunity to share that, to meet that craving. You know, being a Christian is a high calling. It's something that's not gonna just be easy or lukewarm or, or lackadaisical. I don't want us to squander that opportunity that we've been given, but rather to be immersed in it so that we can change the communities that are around us for Christ. I don't want us to be pulled away by the idols that are around us or lulled into that complacency because there's too many things that are at stake. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about some of these obstacles, some of these challenges that we face and applying the word to understand how to, how to deal with them. So let's pray. Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, I just pray for conviction in our hearts and minds. Lord, those areas of spiritual pride, those areas of idolatry that says that we are enough or that we are in control or our own God, those things that say that we can do whatever we want to do. Lord, I just pray a heart of repentance against those things. Lord, I pray for a healthy understanding of culture and community. How to be in the world but not of the world. Seems like it's a fine line, so I just pray that you would give us dis discernment and wisdom. Understanding of how to reach the lost for you that is increasingly against you and rejecting you, that is increasingly unaware of you. Lord, I pray 
for your spirit to fall upon us. That you would give us a boldness and a passion that would go and preach the gospel message and that many would come to saving faith. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us this opportunity to glorify you, to magnify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.